0: Thanks for joining us today on The Conqueror. This interview is with Mr. Ron Hazarati. Ron is a two-time author and deacon of the Maronite Diocese of Sydney. Ron has been a teacher for many years, currently teaching in Our Lady of Lebanon, and is an avid student of Hungar Kung Fu. In this interview, I talk with Ron about the interaction of faith on his life experiences, especially his formative years. Ron goes into detail what it was like growing up and some of the choices that he made, which he shares his insight on. Check it out, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Pleasure. Really appreciate your time, and um, I'm grateful that you've given me the opportunity to um, explore your history, um, your martial arts experience, and also your professional life as well. So yep. um, please tell me, what's, um, what's your story? What's led you to the current day?
1: Um, Well,
0: do you want me to go from the beginning? Uh, Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, I was born
1: 1960, Sydney, grew up in Punchbowl, went to school at St. John's Lakemba, then Benil Banks now. Um, Worked on the railways for a little while. Didn't do very well in the HSC, so I went back and did it again at TAFE. Um, Felt the calling to the priesthood at a certain point, so I entered the seminary. I was actually in there for a little while with Tony Abbott. Okay. So that was interesting. Yeah, spent three years or so in the seminary. Worked out that it wasn't for me. Um, Left the seminary, I think I was around 25. Wasn't sure what to do with my life. Uh, Somebody suggested teaching, so I got into teaching. Been teaching for 30 years Mm -hmm. um, at the same school. Recently, I got ordained as a deacon, and um, so that's pretty much my life at the moment. Married with three kids, teaching, working as a deacon for the church. Um, That's pretty much it in a nutshell. Okay. What are you teaching? I teach religion. Okay. High school? High school, yeah. And? Um, Harris Park. Our uh, lady's living on? Yeah, okay. Which is now the Maronite College the Holy Family. Okay. I've actually just this year or the year before, I've just moved into the special needs department. So I'm still teaching religion. We've got a couple of classes, but I'm also working with special needs kids. What's your biggest challenge at work? Well, my biggest challenge at work? Mm. Well, in teaching religion, I guess it's always um, trying to you know, communicate the message. To kids in a way that they will find appealing, that they will understand, and hopefully, you know, that you can influence them. But that, that's the challenge, I mean, I guess with a lot of young kids, they're not really asking the questions. They're even the best way to teach, or the best person to teach is somebody who's asking questions. For a lot of young kids at that age, they're not really asking, you know, the big questions about their faith, about their about
0: life. Do you feel that you've got a heavy responsibility in your role to propagate the message um, to the students? To yeah. the students,
1: I do. I do. It's a, it's a, when we, if you really sit down and think about it, it's a it's a big responsibility. Um, I also feel it as as a deacon as well. I see my deaconate as sort of an extension of the teaching. How so? Well, it's it's well, it's teaching religion, I guess. I mean, in the Maronite Church, the main role of the deacon is to is to preach in a lot of ways. Um, I the Latin Rite Church, they can baptise, they can do marriages, um, they can do funerals. We don't do that in the in the Maronite Church here. But what we do do is um, I can read the gospel and I can preach. So, so I see that as an important part of um,
0: my my um, vocation. So does that mean, for example, if you wanted to run a Bible study session, you could do that? Mm. Yeah. Okay. And if you were to do that, do you feel that um, it gives you an element of creativity in expressing the message? Or yeah, yeah. I've got a youth group at Saint Maroons, Saint Maroons Youth Group, the Redford.
1: We meet every second Wednesday, where we have a we meet for a bit of prayer, and then I'll give a bit of talk. Mm-hmm and then we had a meeting, you know, to get together and things like that. So, yeah, it nice. the opportunity to do that. And I of got to the diaconate recently, um, 2nd of November. I was a sub before that for about two years. A bit more. Can you describe the calling that you had to the, the diaconate? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I've been teaching. I reached a point in my life where I sort of I've been teaching for you know, around 25 years, and I, um, I hit a wall. I sort of well, just wasn't enjoying it anymore, wasn't getting a lot from it anymore. Um, I'd also, at that stage, experienced a few sicknesses. Okay. I had problems with my prostate. When they, used to, when they used to do the examination for the prostate, they found a little lump mm-hmm. on the kidney, they originally said, oh, don't worry about it, it's nothing. And then the next year they said, oh, no, it's growing, we better look at it. It turned out to be kidney cancer. Mm-hmm. They had a bit of kidney cancer, which, you know, thank God, they found early they cut it out. and Thank God I've been free from it for you know, five years. But So there was a few things happened. I was sort of, I was sick. I wasn't happy at work. And I was just getting depressed. I, sort of, I felt like I, um,
0: the wind had gone out of my sails. Do you feel that all of those were related well, they, were, yeah, yeah, actually, I do. I think they were connected. Which one would you say
1: was the head, or which one came first? I think that, um, because I was sort of in my personal life, I was sort of I'd lost meaning, I'd lost purpose, I'd lost direction,
0: and it was it was killing me in a sense, and I think that manifested in the cancer. there's something in me that was eating me away that was killing me. And you feel that the cancer basically turned into this physical thing that was a sign of what was killing you spiritually, emotionally? I I think they were
1: connected. For me, they were connected, yeah. I I do. I do. I mean, I can't prove that, but I I definitely think they were connected. And um, one of the things when I decided to become a deacon, it, it gave me a new sense of meaning, a new sense of purpose. I think that's very important, that, that sense of purpose, that sense of meaning. You know, I had that as a teacher, but I sort of lost it towards the end. I think I needed more of a challenge, or I you know, just sort of uh, just run out of fuel a bit. And the it gave me a renewed sense of mission, a renewed sense of purpose, a, a, a new goal. And um, you need that for psychological
0: health. I believe that 100%. Do you feel that? The calling to the diaconate was, in a way, some sort of um, reprieve that you owed yourself because you didn't follow through with your, the training you received to become a priest? Oh, interesting question. But um, I always had
1: the desire, I guess. But one of the main reasons I went into the priesthood was because I wanted to spread the gospel message. You know, to proclaim Jesus as found in the gospel. That was one of the main reasons I went into the priesthood um, to spread the word. I didn't go through with the priesthood, so the next best thing for me was to become a religion teacher, to communicate the message as best as I could to young people. Um, and then after, you know, 25 years or so, I wanted to extend that, and um, I needed more of a challenge. So, for me, that was the acting, which gives me, I guess, a a broader audience to speak to. It's not just kids. Now I can sort of extend that to to more people. So there is definitely a a connection.
0: Mm. What role do you feel your family played in this process? Um, A very supportive role. Yeah, like
1: I couldn't... Be a deacon unless my wife supported me. It just wouldn't work.
0: You know, it just there's no way to do it. Why do you why do you think that it's important for your wife to have supported you so much? Is it because of the requirements of the job, or do you feel it's yeah something more than? that? Well,
1: it's, it's a big commitment in terms of time. You know, so I've got my full time job, I've got my family, and then on top of that, I've got you know, my responsibilities as yes. a deacon. Mm. So you've got the time commitment, and also you know you, the, the whole um, the whole faith area. You know, thank God, my wife supports you know the faith. She's a woman of faith. You know, faith is important to her. Catholic faith is important to her. So um, you know, she understands what I'm doing. You know, my 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 daughters they sort of had a bit more problems with it, a bit more trouble with it, it's sort of, what are you doing, Dad, you know, mm. what's all this about, but um, oh, we, I had a few meetings with them, um, we ironed out some things, it wasn't always smooth sailing, there were some difficulties there we had to work through, but um, in the end they said, Dad, look, if this is what makes you happy, this is what you feel that you have to do, you know,
0: go for it, okay. which is what happened, and my wife too, said, well, if this is really what you want to do, it makes you happy. Support you. So moving forward, um, you've now accomplished so much outside of work and the diaconate, what do you spend your time doing? Um,
1: well, one of the things I do, with, I was speaking to you before about it, is martial arts. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my hobby, I guess. Um, I've been involved and interested in the martial arts for, for a long time, back when I was sort of, I think, 15 When it started, I'm 59 now. I've always had that interest in them. Um, Yeah, I also like reading. I read a lot. Um, Now I watch a lot of YouTube. (laughs) I'm a bit of a YouTuber. Yeah. And I have a diverse range of people who I listen to. You know, I'll listen to sort of the hardcore atheists on, and then I'll listen to sort of you know religious fanatics on one end and. So I
0: have a broad range of people who I listen to and, um, yeah. Is uh, most of the content that you watch on YouTube around the faith or is it doubling other things on YouTube? Um, Connected in some way.
1: Okay. Like, for example, I um, listened a lot to Jordan Peterson recently. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he talks about the faith, especially from a psychological point of view. So I'll listen to that. I'll listen to people like um, well, I listen to the atheists. I listen. I, I listen to a lot of the atheist debates. You know, people like um, who like Hitchens and Dawkins and Sam Harris. You know, I listen to them. Um, the atheist experience. I listen to that a bit. So yeah, I listen to
0: um, political type That's programs. It. Tucker. Yeah.
1: Um, ben Shapiro. Yeah. Um, I listen to Joe Rogan, his
0: podcast. Okay. So it's a bit of a broad mix. All right. Yeah. And um, when you were younger and you first realised your love of martial arts, can you describe your journey and how it started?
1: Yeah, I can. Um, Lloyd was born in 1960 and in the 70s, I think, I'm not sure exactly, but I think that's when the um, the Bruce Lee movie started. Okay. All right. So Bruce Lee made, as you know, made martial arts popular in the West. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nobody before him had heard of a back fist <laughs> or a side kick. It's <laughs> true. A yeah. you know, back fist, what's that? <laughs> or a sidekick, kick, what's that? Or a turning kick. Nobody'd heard of that. Mm. Um, we'd just take it for granted now. So he made it popular and... Um, in the 70s, in Australia, it was the sort of – it was the – that's when the martial arts were popular, very popular. Mm-hmm. Things like karate, taekwondo and so on and so forth. They, they, they were very popular and that's when I got involved. I think I was around 15 when I – my first taekwondo lesson at Belmore Police Boys Club. Okay. I mean, a friend of mine. Okay. We went there, we did it. Um How long did you stick it out for in taekwondo? I stuck out taekwondo then, I think – Maybe a year, going on two years, not long. And then I moved into, I got in, in, then I stopped for a while. Um, I got off the track a bit. That's when I sort of got involved in drugs. It was, it was the 60s, 70s I grew up in. So the whole lifestyle of drugs, sex, and rock and roll, mm. that was my lifestyle for a while. And um, I gave up in martial arts sports completely, went off track. Um, I reached a certain point where I realised if I don't stop, I'm going to end up in jail or um, in mental asylum or dead, all or, or three together. So I had to stop and um, one of the things that helped me stop was to get back into martial arts, to get back into my faith and to get back into the martial
0: arts. So definitely it gave me another focus. How did your siblings and parents react to you uh, doubling in drugs? Oh, well.
1: Well, my parents, um, well, my dad never really knew. Okay. I sort of kept that secret to him because he would kill me. <laughs> he would take me in the garage and beat the hell out of me. Yeah. Uh, mum sort of suspected. Yeah, she, she knew a little bit more. My dad's recently passed away. My mum's still alive. Um yeah, no. Obviously, they wouldn't have been happy. And my sisters—I've got three sisters. I mean, at that stage, I was sort of pretty much divorced from them. Were uh, you the eldest? Yeah, I was the eldest, and you know, I had a little. I used to sleep in a caravan out the backyard, and I used to pretty much stay there and you know, do my own thing.
0: Um, yeah. So you know, if we'll, you if you yeah. were to turn back the clock and look at yourself at that time. Was there anything that you believe you can put your finger on and say that's what caused me to start taking drugs, or do you feel that taking drugs is a result of something bigger, but not as apparent? So say, for example, someone coming up to you saying, "Hey, try this," or "Hey, try that." Mm. Well,
1: it originally started. I had a there was a guy who used to um, visit his. Archie two doors up from me a Waddle Street in Punchbowl. Mm. and Punchbowl. Um, and he originally introduced me to marijuana. you know, we went down to the canal around mm. the road and
0: we, we smoked a joint. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was just, I got, I got so high I couldn't climb out
1: back out of the canal. Mm. And I was just laughing my head off. Mm. It was, and uh, I guess and then from then on it was sort of, that's what got me hooked. Um, in the beginning, it's fun. I mean, in the beginning, it's great. And I guess that's the problem with um, with sin in general, that there's a certain attraction to it in the
0: beginning, but then it's where it leads to. That's when, all, you know, that's when the problems come. Do you feel that drugs are the sin or they're a symptom of the sin? Yeah, okay, good question. Uh, well, well, I think it's more the symptom of the sin.
1: Yeah, the symptom of, um, you know, people do drugs for various reasons. You know, they're not happy with their life for various reasons. I think uh, what I was talking about before, the um, lack of meaning, lack of purpose, lack of direction, mm. if you don't really have that, you'll fill it with, with some sort of drug or whatever that drug is, mm. whether it's alcohol, gambling, pornography, whatever, mm. and you can fill it, fill it in different ways. But um, certainly I, I think it's a symptom of the deepest sin. I mean, to take drugs is a sin, obviously. It's, um, I think we take drugs, or people take drugs more. They're unhappy within. Um, and at that that stage in my life, I didn't have a lot of direction. Um, I guess I, I, I was unhappy in terms of um, my family life, I could say, at that stage. Um, as I said, I grew up in the, the 60s, and uh, that was from Lebanon. Yeah, he was from a little village in Lebanon and he had his expectations of how he wanted to be, how he wanted me to be, and those expectations or those expectations just didn't fit in with growing up in Sydney, Australia in the 1970s. Now, is this totally different? So there was a cultural gap between me and my dad at that stage, very much a generation gap and a cultural gap, and... um, that led to a lot of, um, I guess, tension between me and my dad, and I think, I think that was one of the reasons why um, I took to drugs. I really, uh, I get because I was addicted with marijuana and things like that. It's not so much the physical addiction, it's the psychological addiction,
0: and I think I was um, psychologically addicted. This insight that you've revealed, do you feel that that's? You talking in retrospect, or is this Ron talking at the age of 15, 16 years old? I think there's probably retrospect,
1: looking back. Yeah, when I was when I was um, involved in, in the drugs, it was more just doing fun, mm. you know, mm. doing it kicks. It was exciting. Going out, I remember you know going out when I was young and having my first cigarette. It was exciting. Mm. You, know? yeah. you you go behind forever and have a smoke and behind your parents back and yeah as i said that there's that initial attraction somebody once said the other day i was listening to a youtube thing and he, he was saying that nobody ever told him he grew up in a strict religious school religious mm-hmm. background he was very religious very faith he said nobody ever told me that sin was fun <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a there's a certain truth in it. It begins as attractive, but it, it, you know, it's where it leads. It, it never stays fun. It always ends in a pretty dark place. And for me, as I said, I would end up in a mental asylum, jail, or dead. Um, sometimes I think sin's a bit like a chocolate-flavoured cockroach. And it tastes good in the beginning, but once you bite on into it, once you get right into it, it's, you know, it's not very
0: nice. It's yucky. But, um, yeah. I love the opinion that um, if you feel the temptation to sin, it's a result of, or not only the result of, but could be a result of an idle mind. And uh, no doubt you've heard the saying, an idle mind is the root of all evil. Mm. Do you feel that your uh, recovery from drug, from um, the drug abuse that you experienced, was attributed to something that you filled your time with, like the martial arts? Or do you feel that martial arts did more for you than just fill your time? Well, certainly the martial arts gave me
1: something, gave me a direction, gave me a purpose. You know, it was something I loved, it was something I wanted to put my time and energy into. So there's no doubt about it. It gave me some sort of um, goal to work on. Mm. I think that's so important. You need that. You've got to replace your drug with something else you can't just tell people to give up alcohol or give up drugs or whatever Mm. you've got to give them something to replace it with um yeah for me and for me i mean as i said i got back into my faith i got back into the martial arts i set myself some goals i remember reading some books on um self-development back then and um now, I look back at now and some of the books were a bit silly, but they, they helped me back then. At that stage in my life, they were very helpful. Mm. And they said, you know, if you want to be successful, you've got to set yourself goals. And often one of those goals would be, to, you know, to have some sort of uh, faith commitment, you know. That would always be one of the steps, you know, to have, have faith. Um, and one of my goals was to, I remember one of my goals was to get a black belt in whatever martial art I was doing.
0: Why do you think faith is important in, in say, motivation or goal setting? What do I think it's important yeah. for? Um, well,
1: in the end, your faith is everything. Um, and faith gives us a very clear goal, union with God. That, that, that's our ultimate goal, union with God in this life and then ultimately, you know, eternal life happen. So faith gives us a a definite goal. I mean, Jesus
0: says, follow me, that he gives us a path. Do you feel that goals of any kind, if they're righteous, are of the result of divine intervention? Yeah, I think if you've got a good
1: goal, it's, you know, I'm sure it's sort of, God would be pleased with that. Um, I mean, I guess as long as we're doing God's will or trying to do God's will, doing our best to do God's will. I mean, if you're married, your goal obviously is to be a good husband, be a good father, be a good mother, whatever. That's part of your goal. That's part of your vocation. Um, If you're, you know, whatever your job is, to be good at your job, whatever, you know, as long as you're doing it a good job, a legal job, mm. whatever it is, that's important. That's part of your your mission in life, you know. If you're a plumber, be a good plumber. God wants you to be a good plumber. Mm. Do a good job, be honest, don't try to rip people off, you know. Um, I think that's all very important. It's all, connected to, it's all connected to our faith, I guess. Does
0: that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah it does actually. So you've... Done some Taekwondo. Yeah. What happened after Taekwondo?
1: As I said, I'm a bit of a jack-of-all-trades master okay. of run. All right. Um, I've dabbled, dabbled, dabbled a lot. I did Taekwondo
0: for a little while, then I got into karate, Goshin Ru karate, um, Rick, Rick Bradford. Okay. I you've heard of me? Yeah. Yeah. These guys
1: were all rep- big in the 70s. Um, did that for a couple of years. I think I got to a brown belt and then I stopped, but that's when I went into the seminary. So I stopped my martial arts training while I was in the seminary, studying for the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, then I left. When well, I left the seminary and started teaching, went to teachers' college, and I, then after a while, I got back into. I did have kiddo at Bankstown for a little while, mm-hmm. and then um, and in boxing, I did a little bit of, with Warren, Warren Johnson. Yeah, okay. So I used to go to his gym, and I did a bit of boxing, kickboxing there for a while. Okay. All right, and then um, for quite a large gap, I got into the internal martial arts. Okay, you heard of old Montague view, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, he died a few years ago, but um, I was involved with his school, and I did that for quite a while. i become very interested in internal martial arts, mm-hmm. um, and then um, stopped that. And my most recent is I just go down the road, I do. Hungar Kung Fu with Sifu Joseph A. who um, he's got a little school in his garage just down the road, five-minute walk down here. I go down there and I do a bit of training with him. Um, two days a week I try to do. and um, Yeah, he's very good, very, very interesting. His, approach, his whole approach is very interesting. What do you feel sets him apart from, so, the next school down the road? Well... Few things. One thing would be he really combines mind, body, spirit. Like he's a committed Christian, very, you know, has strong faith. So he combines bodily development with mental development. Like he'll get us to repeat phrases. Like I do come fu to be happy, healthy, smart, and strong, and to defend myself. So he gets us to repeat those positive phrases. So he's, he's working on the mental attitude. And, um, as I said, he's also, you know, he's quite a spiritual person. So he
0: he, he brings that into his teaching. When he's teaching, he'll, bring, he'll talk about God. How do you feel that Christianity, especially Catholicism, interacts with especially Eastern martial arts, for example, the Chinese systems? Do you feel that there's a direct conflict or do you feel that somewhere there is some sort of a union Mm. between the two? I don't feel there's a conflict. I I feel there's an overlap. There's
1: definitely an overlap. How so? Well, I know some Christians, especially the evangelical types, will say anything to do with Buddhism or Eastern arts, evil, it's from the devil. Don't have anything to do with it. Um, Don't sit in the lotus position because it's evil, it's not Christian. Or don't do martial arts because it's Eastern, it's whatever. Um, That's not the Catholic approach at all, if you read the Vatican documents on um, non-Christian religions, they will say that, there's ele- that there is an element of truth, goodness and beauty in all religions, okay and if something, Thomas Aquinas said if it's true, it's from the Holy Spirit, whether a Buddha says it or uh, whatever, if it's true it's from God, and so I think there's an element of truth and goodness in all religions and uh, we can take that and easily Christianize it. I mean, if you have a look at our Bible, the first half is the, the Old Testament, it's the Jewish religion, but, you know, we've moved on. Um, and Christianity, when it first grew up in the first couple of hundred years, integrated Greek philosophy into its theology, the philosophy of Plato and Aristotle, okay? So we didn't say, oh, it's pagan sequel. We said, no, they've actually got some good stuff there, there's some true stuff there. Let's take the good and true stuff and integrate it into our Christian way of thinking. We integrated the Roman um, system into our organisation of our church, into diocese and all this sort of thing. So we took, as Catholics, we can take what's good and true from the outside and integrate it into our faith. And I think that's what we can do with the martial arts. I mean... Martial arts are like anything that can be used for evil, there's no doubt about it, Um, not all martial artists are saints or whatever, but um, you can also use it for good, so I have no problems integrating it into um, my life
0: and into my faith. In fact, for me, it's helped me in my faith. So would you say then that the training you've received under your instructor has improved your faith or your faith has improved your training? Well, firstly,
1: it's improved my faith, especially under my instructor, Sir Joseph. Because, um, as I said, he's a—he's very positive. Yeah, you know, he's very um, uplifting. You talk to him, he'll make you feel good. If you—if you like, for example, I've gone to him with some questions, and he'll sort of—he'll encourage me. He'll say, "No, do it. You can do it." martial arts-related questions? Or? No, no. This is life questions. Okay. I mean, this is what I'm. One of the good things I like about him is that, you know, he's not just teaching you how to punch. He's sort of, he's he's like a a guide, you know, he's a friend, he's a father, he's a father-type figure, you know. um, He helps you in all areas of life, which I think is the traditional sifu or the traditional, you know, sensei or or master. He wouldn't just teach you how to punch. He'd teach you about life. He's, He's like the karate kid. Mr. Miyagi, it wasn't just teaching him how to punch, and he was teaching him about life. Mm. I think that's what I that's what attracted me to the martial arts is that they always had that philosophical side to them. It wasn't just about how to punch and kick. It was like if you read a lot of the old masters of karate or whatever, they will say the martial arts is to develop your character. It's not just about developing your body, developing your mind and ultimately your spirit. I mean, they started off in the Shaolin Temple. So there was always that that connection between, you know, um,
0: Buddhism, martial arts and then, you know, karate and so on. There was always that philosophical connection. No doubt you would have experienced in your time some teachers or some schools that weren't as good as your current teacher. Um, Mm. How badly do you think it can go for a student who's naive, or who doesn't know any better, if they encounter a teacher that isn't that... Mm-hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, morally
1: sound. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's very important that you have a good teacher. Again, if you look at the movie Karate Kid, there's a lot in that movie. Mm-hmm. especially from that. I mean, you had the good instructor and you had the bad instructor. Mm-hmm. You know, the bad instructor was all about sort of violence and and winning and um, you know, beating up people and ego. and he, he was an example of a bad instructor. And, and that's what can happen if you get a bad instructor. They can sort of just, I don't know, lead you down a, a wrong path. Or even just physically, they can, you know, they cannot... Some instructors that I've met, that I've come across, uh, to be honest, they're hopeless, they're hopeless. What signs would you look for in an instructor? Mm-hmm. I would often look, is the training hard? As in hard on the body? or yeah, as it, Firstly, as, as it, like in the beginning yeah. when I was first learning, yeah, I, I wanted training to be hard. You know, I didn't want to go in. I, am I going to sweat? I don't want to go in there, oh, okay. do an hour and a half and walk out like I haven't done anything. Mm. And there were some schools where I went to that would be like that. Mm. You know, you would you'd hardly work up a sweat. Um, so really they weren't t- teaching you much at all. Um, So I would look to, you know, are are the instructors good and is the training hard? Do they give you a solid lesson? Do they teach you well? Mm. Um, As I said, I'm very lucky with my instructor at the moment. He he does combine the physical, mental and spiritual. And um, I see a a power in him and in in his senior students. He's only got very few senior students. He's got very small classes Mm. um, that I haven't come across before. It's it's almost mystical. He, he, his power. To so look at him, you wouldn't think so, but it's his presence. Is that right? It's his presence and it's his physical power. Mm. Like I've seen them. I, I believe in the one punch can kill now. Mm. Whereas before, I thought, right, oh, yeah, right. But if you get hit by these guys, uh, they they can hurt you. Mm. Um, but the good thing about him, he doesn't he doesn't go out to show it. He's, he's not about that. You know, it's there if he has to, in an extreme situation, defend his family or loved ones or somebody weak, I mean. But, um, and that's why he's very careful who he'll instruct, especially to those higher levels, Mm. because he doesn't want to, you know, give people this sort of power that they can go and misuse. Mm. But, um, yeah, I see a certain power in him and his senior students that,
0: um, as I said, it's almost mystical, it's sort of, it's quite incredible,
1: mm.
0: yeah. Do you feel that training is something that will ever have its end or do you think that it's always ongoing? Well, I think, um, especially with the martial arts, the traditional martial arts, it's, um, you can go
1: on for, you know, you got old guys in their 80s who are still training. Mm. Everybody's different. Some people do it for one year, two years, five years, ten years, Some people do it for life. Um, me, I've sort of on and off over my life. Um, You know, obviously, I do it for the physical benefit. I look at it as, okay, if I want to serve my family, serve God, serve his church, Mm. I need to stay healthy. So that's one of the main reasons I do it now, my age. As you get older, you start to get stiffer and Mm. you need to keep, you know, use it or lose it. That's one of the main reasons I do martial arts now, so that I can stay healthy, so
0: that I can serve God in His church. Hypothetically speaking, if uh, an instance arose where you would have to use the extremities of your expertise in martial arts, I wouldn't say I'm, a, I'm an expert, but anyway, yeah. From what you know, yeah. Do you have you often thought, or have you ever thought that you would be conflicted if? you would have to hurt someone so severely that they'd be disabled or we might even kill them? And if so, do you feel that that would be enough to say, okay, this is the point now where it conflicts with my faith Mm. and I can't go on anymore?
1: Look, I think we're allowed to defend ourselves um, and our families. So obviously as Christians, violence is a last resort, absolute last resort. I mean, Jesus was pretty clear on loving her enemies, turning the other cheek, forgiveness. Um, So, I mean, that's obviously what we aim for. But I think in certain circumstances, if your family's being attacked or threatened, we are allowed, in some instances, to use violence. Now, I think you, you use the necessary violence. You know, you can stop somebody with one punch, well, then that's enough, no have to go any further. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, look, I've never really had to get used martial arts in a self-defence situation, mm. and God willing, I, I'll never have to. Um, to me, the real enemy is up here.
0: That's
1: the real battle.
0: Um, yeah. Mm. Okay. So... It sounds like you've been able to amass all of this wisdom over the years through your experiences. Has it come out in any way where you've shown that the res- the result of all my experiences leads me to here to this day, and because of that, I can be a better deacon, I can be a better father, I can be a better friend, husband. Do you feel that you are the result of your experiences, and that what my martial arts experience, everything. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, we're the fruit of our, our whole life, mm. yeah, the good and the bad, 100%, you know, it's, that's what life is. You've got that mix of good and bad and strength and weakness and, mm. and,
0: and <clears throat> it's, what, it's what's made me who I am today, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I know that you've written some books. Yeah. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more about what led you to write? The main thing that led me to write is,
1: as I said before, you know, I want to communicate the message of Jesus, who Jesus is, um, because I think Jesus is a very attractive character. The Jesus of the Gospels is a very attractive character, Um, and if people understand who he is,
0: they'll love. Do you think that? The historical Jesus and the Jesus of the gospel are two different people oh, That's a big question.
1: Oh wow I uh, wasn't expecting that one. Look, when I was studying theology I would do some Christology courses okay which deals with that question exactly. Mm. Is there a difference between the Jesus who walked around in Palestine and the Jesus that you read about in the Gospels? Mm. Um, And, boy, that was a big question. Like, I remember doing some Christology courses and almost losing my faith because there'd be some theologians who would say they're totally different. uh, On one end, they would say the Jesus of history and the Jesus of Gospels are two totally different characters. Um, And so I'd read these people and I'd think, my God, what can I believe in the Gospels then? Is it all just made up? But then the more I studied, the more I researched into it, the more I looked into it, because I used to be pretty interested in that question, was that, no, there is, there is certainly a, a, an overlap. Like if you read the um, writings of um, Benedict, Pope Benedict, um, he writes about this issue, he wrote a few books on Jesus, and he would say, no, there is certainly a, a strong link between the Jesus of the Gospels and the historical Jesus. I mean, and each Gospel is different too. I mean, it's, it's a really big question to get into. Mm. But, um, I mean, the, the Gospels are historical. Does that mean that everything in them happened in a historical way? Perhaps not. Maybe they were trying to make a theological point. Um, the bottom line is we don't know. There were no cameras back then. You know, there wasn't somebody following Jesus around with a tape recorder and a movie camera so that we could know exactly what he said and did. Now, the Gospels were written many decades after Jesus. So they're they're sort of, they've been put together by people over many years, you know, getting together oral tradition and so on and so forth. I mean, look at a movie, for example, like um, Mel Gibson's Passion of Christ. I mean, did everything in that movie happen historically? Or did he add some things to get across a certain point? Some things written in the Gospels can be taken that way as well. Um, But I think the message behind them is is the important thing. Mm. Let me just give you a quick example, the washing of the feet. Now, that's not in um, Mark, Matthew or Luke. We only find that in John's Gospel. So some theologians, some scholars go, well, did it really happen historically? Or was John trying to give us a theological meaning of the Eucharist, what's happening in the Eucharist, well, was in John's gospel that the Eucharist, Jesus washes the feet. So John is trying to teach us that what's happening in the Eucharist, Jesus is serving us. Mm. Jesus is humbling himself and serving us, which is a very powerful message. Is that message true? Yes, it is true. I mean, people can argue about did it happen historically or not? If it did happen historically, why well, wasn't mentioned in the other three gospels? Um, different scholars will have different opinions, but to me, the important thing is the meaning, the message. What's the message it's trying to communicate? That our God gets on his knees and serves us, which is a very powerful
0: message. Okay. We believe in a God who washes our feet. Is there <coughs> a Ron Hazarati way of teaching the faith?
1: <laughs> well, there is. I mean, as I as I use my experiences, my personality. Mm. To teach it. Um, I would teach it in a different way than you would teach it, than I mean, anyone would teach it. We all we all bring to where we if we teach it. We all we all bring to our teaching our gifts and talents and personalities.
0: I mean, I have my strengths. I've got my weaknesses. So Ron, do you think that the sicknesses that people face, for example, cancer, uh, are a specific result of some sort of a spiritual deficiency? Yeah, well, as we
1: said before, I think there's a definite connection between mind, body, and spirit. I I believe that strongly. And um, even Jesus, one of the things he did was heal people's body. Um, They would bring, remember the story where someone was brought for healing and Jesus forgave his sins first. Okay, and they probably thought, "Well, we didn't bring him here to forgive his sins. We didn't bring him here to the other. Help, him, help him walk again." But Jesus forgave his sins first, because maybe that—the thing that was crippling him his guilt. And sometimes, you know, things—negative emotions—can cripple us. They can, think they can blind us. They can uh, make us deaf to God's voice. They can blind us to the beauty of creation. And um, yeah, so Jesus affected that inner healing. And then he affected the outer healing. Do you think guilt
0: is the worst part about sin, or at least guilt is the worst, the worst part of the human experience of sin? I would say self hatred. Self hatred different
1: from guilt. Um, they're probably connected, but I, I think one of the um, basic
0: ailments of human beings is a deep self-hatred. Do you think that people who don't know God or that don't know the Catholic faith or who have never even been exposed to Christianity for that matter, experience the same thing in the same way as people who are? I'm not
1: sure. I I do know that... um, the medicine Christ came to give us is mercy, is love, is forgiveness. And, it, um, and that's the perfect medicine because the problem was this self-hatred, this guilt. It's all connected. Okay? And if our problem is um, self-hatred, well then the perfect medicine for that is is the unconditional love of God. Yeah? Which is what we call forgiveness. God's unconditional acceptance of us. He accepts us exactly as we are. He loves us exactly as we are. As St. Paul said, he died for us while we were sinners. That's the perfect medicine for the human condition of, of, of sin. It's interesting that Jesus always saw sin as not as a crime that had to be punished. He saw it as a sickness that needed to be healed. So his approach was always forgiveness and mercy. Yes, there is sin, and the antidote, to that was, often by Jesus, was, was, was love, was forgiveness, was divine acceptance. God loves us as sinners, but he doesn't want us to stay in our sin, okay? If I'm an alcoholic. God loves me as an alcoholic, but he doesn't want me to stay as an alcoholic. He wants me to develop my full potential and be the best person I can
0: be as a child of God. So if you think the sickness or if you think that sin, is a sickness, why then do you, why then are we taught that the separation, that the eternal separation from God, which we call hell, is really imposed upon the souls who don't want to, or who aren't able to be cured of that sickness? Mm. The, the Catholic
1: Catechism describes hell very interesting way, they talk about it as, as self-exclusion. It's, um, hell is this, I mean, God has given us free will, so he's not going to force himself on us. We have free will. So to me, hell is that freely chosen separation from God. It's more my decision rather than God's decision. Like the story in the prodigal son. The son decided to leave his father's home. Okay, The father always loved him. And when, the, and then, then the son decided to return home. That deciding to leave the father's home is that separation from God, which leads ultimately to hell. Hell is separation from God. Heaven is being with God. He made a decision to return to his father's home, and you have the the um, the feast. That feast is a symbol of heaven, a metaphor for heaven. Now, with God, being with God, is celebrating the feast of his love. So it's more. I see it more as our decision. We. I mean, I, I've experienced hell within myself. You know, I've experienced heaven within myself. These are experiences when I, when I choose to sort of go my own way, do my own thing, forget God, forget the people I love. I mean, that leads to a certain hell. When I was involved with drugs and all that, that was sort of leading me to hell. My life become a living hell, and I think a lot of people especially addicts, their life is a living its a living hell. I mean, you watch some documentaries on um, heroin addicts. You want to see what hell is, you look at them. And then the opposite is true. I mean, a lot of the saints said heaven begins now. Why? Because I'm with God. Heaven is being with God. And that, that begins now and then continues on for, for eternity. One of the things I wanted to say before about addiction is St. Augustine says we're created for God. And our hearts are restless until they rest in the... You've probably heard that quote. That's famous a right. quote of St Augustine. Um, so we all have a, a hole in our heart that only God can fill. Now, if you haven't got God to fill it, you're going to try to fill it with something else, with money, with drugs, alcohol, sex, power, whatever, shopping, whatever. We try to fill it with something else. Now, the problem is that something else is never going to satisfy us. Never. Nothing created can fill that hole in our heart, even family, even another person. Um, people think, oh, when I form madly in love, that will fill that hole. No, it won't. Nothing can fill that hole. And that's why we are so open to addiction because we think, okay, money will fill it, in, so I'll make a million dollars. Oh, no, I need another million. I need another million. Nothing's going to fill that hole in our heart because that hole is eternal and only God
0: can fill it in. So I think then it's fair to say that money isn't the root of all evil but money is the root of many kinds of evil and in that there is no, correct me if I'm wrong, but according to catechism, there is no sin in pursuing money provided it's not for the intention of filling that hole that you're talking about. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, I mean...
1: Jesus says we can't love two masters, God and money. Um, I mean, obviously, as Christians, we are meant to love God above all else. Does that mean making money is wrong? No. We've been rich saints, been wealthy saints. Um, But we have to put God first, okay? My main purpose in life is not to make money, it's to serve God. Now, if I make money, I can use that to serve my family, and I can use it to serve other people. As long as it's always the question of is God what what is first in your life who is first I mean some people can put martial arts first above all else um, that would be wrong too it's, um your God is the most what you put most value on in your life whatever that is that's your real God and you might go to church every Sunday but if your main purpose in life is to make money well then money is your God. Okay? If your main purpose in life is to sort of seek pleasure, well, then pleasure is your God, whatever. Your God is whatever is the most important thing in your life. And it's, I guess you know, none of us are perfect. We're always trying to make that perfect commitment of love to Jesus. And I guess that's one of the reasons the church really, um, teaches about purgatory. Because it's, you know, it's an ongoing journey. A lot of us, when we finish our life on earth, haven't made that 100% commitment. And we, we always have these other loves. I love you, Jesus, yes, but I love this too. You know? yeah. but so it's the spiritual life is a, is a continual journey. And one of the things that the, the martial arts can help in that journey is that the martial arts can teach you values, can teach you virtues that will help in that spiritual journey. They can teach you things like discipline, patience, perseverance, courage, um, respect. Traditional martial arts teach you all these things. Now, these virtues can then help you in your spiritual life, in your following of Jesus. We all need
0: these virtues to be good followers of Christ. So, Ron, I've got some questions to ask um, in closing. And uh, one of those is, if money and time were no issue, how would you use your skills to change the world? I would use my skills to
1: change the world. Um, I would write more books and uh, I would teach and I would look into using things like the modern media to spread the message, things like YouTube and um, podcasts, what you're doing now. I mean, my, my, my main mission, my passion is to talk about the Gospels, about the Jesus of the Gospels. Um, the mercy of God as found in Christ. Um, that's the message I would like to preach the love of God, and whatever way I can do that. Now, for me, the best way to do that is that as a teacher, um, as a writer. That's
0: what I would like to do. And is there anything that you're working on now that you'd like to share with everybody? Well, actually, I just finished a book, my third book. Okay. Um,
1: called that the Gospel of John, called the Gospel of John, the greatest piece of religious literature ever written. Yeah. Not a bad title. Yeah. Um, and I've just submitted that to a publisher and I'm just waiting for their response. Fantastic.
0: Mm. That's good. And not yeah. why books? Why books in particular? Why not another form of media?
1: Well, I guess, um, when I was growing up, I thought, um, well, I was a teacher and I wanted to do more than teach and then the writing was my next avenue. Um, it was the next sort of door that opened up. Um, things like YouTube and that sort of came, came later on. But um, basically I believed I had something to share, something to offer, and um, so I put that down in writing. Um, it's my first book, The One Thing God Cannot Do. Um which is basically reflections on Scripture, especially the Gospels. Mm. I'd take a short Gospel verse and then describe reflection on it. My second book was more sort of essay format, mm. but along similar themes, spiritual, spirituality, spirituality, theology, the Gospels, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's some things that I wrote that I probably wouldn't write now in the same way, um, because you change and develop you know, as, you, as you get older, as you grow, but um, that's
0: all right, but um, Yeah, Ron, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Uh, Thank you very much for your time and for sharing a little bit more about your story and your experiences. Uh, It's been, been wonderful talking to you and I'm looking forward to catching up with you again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conqueror's Forge Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit www.conquerorsforge.com.